Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about something. We've mentioned a little bit about this topic before, but it is one that we feel is highly crucial to your spiritual development, to our spiritual development. It's one of the reasons we have a dumb watch. Are you Not even crucial. This, I would say this hinders our spiritual it development. It hinders our spiritual yeah. It's crucial to our spiritual life, and it can hinder yes. our spiritual life greatly. Yeah. And so today's topic is disconnecting to connect. Ooh. That's a great title. Yeah. I came up with it. No, you didn't. <laughs> Okay, but it you is, may have came up. You yeah, may have come up. But it is a good concept. It's a pretty good one. Because uh, we would say in our world today, we are more connected than ever before. The fact that people are listening to us. You're right. driving in your car. You're yes. mowing your lawn. Maybe not now, but you used to mow your lawn. You take long runs. <laughs> no, you're mowing your Well, it is, it's getting to be winter, but some people mow their lawn all year round. Okay, if you live in Florida, maybe. I mean, there's going to be a price to pay. That's true. But uh, we're more connected than ever before, but people are saying they feel more isolated and alone than ever yes. before. Be- and I think it's because of our definition of connection. Mm. Being able to, I was thinking about this the other day, just after hearing some of the stuff you were talking through, my kids will have never experienced the the inability to instantly know anything they want, just at the, the snap of fingers, just by saying the word Alexa. They can ask any question and have any piece of knowledge. They can go on the internet, Wikipedia, whatever. They can get any answer they want. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But they can yeah. get. They have access to everything and all their friends and all their family at all times. So ba- ba- basically back in the day when someone would tell a tall tale that they would make up, like in high school, those days that. are over. I never did that. I'm not saying you did that, but, <laughs> but, but maybe. But maybe. Maybe. I'm telling one right maybe. now. Maybe. But uh, back in the day, you could tell a, you could tell you a lie. You could get away with anything. Yeah, you could tell a lie, make up. And now yeah. you say, let me let me fact check. Yeah, you. as you're talking, someone's like, no, yeah. that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about how technology, although it can be used for good, obviously. Yes. yes. Sadly, today we live in a world where technology and social media has colonized our hearts. Mm-hmm. They have taken up residence in our lives. And basically what was once useful to us... Mm-hmm is now using us. And yes. if you think about what is it... it's supposed to be a tool has turned us into a tool. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And our phones have prostituted our minds, in a sense, to a always be connected. That's right. I mean, think about it. That's what it's doing. It's, it's keeping us connected. Yeah. God never created us to do that. If you think about it, this is, a, this is a new phenomenon. It is. I'm looking around at the multiple guys in here. Every single one of them is on something right now. Yeah, They're on a looking computer. Looking at their phone screen, looking yes. at their laptop. Right now. Apparently, the messages I've been preaching have not worked. I mean, apparently. So we are got to do it again. That's what we're talking about this, folks. So here's what I want to start with. In 2010, uh, Steve Jobs stood on a stage, and he was unveiling what at the time turned out to be one of the greatest technological advances of our time or just uh, technological uh, products of our time. He gets on the stage, and he says, I'm going to introduce you to a device where you could take it with you. You can check email, you can send text, uh, you can browse the web, and all have an amazing experience in the meantime. And for the next 90 minutes, what did he do? He wowed the crowd as he showed pictures of people scrolling through Facebook. He showed people taking photographs with this big device. He showed people listening to music. He showed people playing games on their device as they tap 
and <laughs> as they tap and touch the screen. And then he showed an app store that had endless amounts of opportunities to download anything you want to suit your own needs. He unveiled the iPad, okay? And here's what he said. He finished the presentation and he said, every person needs to own and have an iPad. Hmm. And I've got one right here. Uh, and we both have one. As we're talking, we have two iPads right we here. bought in. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Now, here's, here's what was not entirely accurate about that statement. A New York Times reporter asked him a year or two later uh, about this iPad and the impact it had on the world. And, and the reporter asked him, do, do your kids own an iPad? And Steve Jobs said, I quote, my kids have never used them. Now, his nemesis, Bill Gates, uh, who created the Xbox and many video games, noticed that after uh, his daughter started playing some of these games, she had an unhealthy addiction to the games. And so he noticed this unhealthy addiction, so he removed from the home the games he created. When asked, when did he give his daughter a cell phone? Guess what he said? Um... I know the answer, so I'm not going to give it away. Reluctantly, <laughs> reluctantly, he said we gave her one at 14. Now, we listen to that, and many of our kids, if you have little kids, you're, you're, or younger kids, you're saying, "Man, my kid, my child got a phone at 10. My so child I got a phone at six because I didn't want to deal with them anymore." Yeah, that's what parents now, say. I'm not saying anybody would say that. No, but well, okay, but here's the thing. Nobody so, would so say that no, but but here's the thing. the The challenge is, uh, and I get asked this a lot as a pastor: When is it right for a child to have a cell phone? Okay. You have a 12-year-old. Yes. I have an 11-year-old. Yes. Both of our kids are asking for cell phones. My 8-year-old's asking for one. Yes, my, my <laughs> 9-year-old's too. But, yeah, they start at 8 or 9. Right, right. And we've put them off and put them off. And you hear it all the time. You know, my kids have cell phones. My friends have cell phones. When is the right age, if you're listening, I'll ask you, when is the right age to have a cell phone? And my response is, when are you ready for your child to see pornography? Because that's what you're doing. You're giving your child untethered, unfiltered access to the World Wide Web and hundreds of perpetrators who are out to proselytize or proselytize the minds of young children today. Mm -hmm. And really, they have no way to prohibit or defend themselves. Yeah, well, I think a lot of parents give into that peer pressure. One, because, I mean, even, even if you take away the technology side of it for Forever. When you were a kid, you asked for something, and so your mom and dad finally gave it and got it for you. Mine was Nintendo. Yeah. When the original Nintendo came out, I asked for it every day, maybe every week. Yeah. Finally, a year later, I got it, but I asked. But this, the difference, I think, is just what you said. You're giving them a window to and access to everything out there and everything out there access to your child. Yeah, well, and the difference between the Nintendo or video game system and this is the Nintendo, you, can san you could sanction the games. You could prohibit what they played because you bought them and, and you know you, you hindered for them from buying. The internet and a cell phone, you have you could put all the parameters you want. You could put all the safeguards you want, but they still can get around. And obviously, our kids know technology probably better than we do. Yeah. So the question is, does the Bible say anything? That's what about I was going to ask you. We've got a lot of strong opinions on this. Yes. But what about the Bible? Right. Shouldn't we go to the Word and see? Is there anything about? iPhones or iPads in the Bible? Well, is there an Xbox in the Bible? Well, unfortunately, no. 
There is an apple in the Bible, but that was in Genesis. I mean, some of the people I work with, I think, believe there was an iPad in the Ark of the Covenant. That's how much they love Apple. <laughs> you missed that. I did say there was an apple, but it was in Genesis. Oh, you, boy. Yeah, you missed I, it. But I, anyway, I, we're not going to talk right about it. I don't right think we know head. it was an apple, but uh, that half-eaten sure? apple in the back of my phone. It was there, a pear. There's a joke in there somewhere about it. Too. There, there is a joke <laughs> in there about, yeah, uh, yeah, half-eaten apple. But we don't know if it's an apple or not. Uh but back to back to okay. Does God's word have anything to say about technology, or social media, or internet, or email? And the answer is not specifically. But the Bible has a lot to say about busyness, overwork, always connected, always on, workaholism, fear of men. I, I think that's I think identity, right? So let's take an Old Testament prophet. Obviously, this prophet didn't own an iPhone. He didn't uh, purchase an iPad. He didn't have email. He didn't know what Google was. He didn't have Snapchat. But what he had was he had uh, a tendency to overwork and not disconnect. So in a sense, he burnt himself out. And the person I'm talking about is Elijah. Okay. So Elijah is a man who was mightily used by God on the Mount of Carmel. He comes down from the mountain, and after facing 450 prophets and slaying them all, he comes down and he has a problem with one evil queen named Jezebel. So I think it's funny that he can resist the prophets with no problem. Yeah. But when it comes to one woman, he, he had a problem. And I'm not discounting the woman. She's probably an evil woman. But the reality is he, he's on the run. He goes so far away in depression and anxiety, he, he leaves town. Then he leaves his servant who goes with him another day's journey, and he goes in isolation and uh, solitude, trying to get away from everyone. But what he realizes is he can't get away from God. And what Elijah shows us is two things. And here's what I want to talk about. And this is, a, this is the regular rhythm of a disciple. These should be the regular rhythms of your disciplees or the people you're investing in. Well, before we get into those two things, let's take a brief break with a word from our sponsor. DiscipleShirts.com is a place where you can purchase shirts and make disciples. People ask us all the time, do you have shirts? Do you have uh, stickers? Do you have hats? And the answer is, we now do. And so we have different shirts, like multiplication over addition. We have the disciple maker shirt. We have the personal favorite of mine, the make disciples, period. That's a good one. What and about the 2818 hat? The 2818 hat and the 2818 shirt. Shirt. Or should it be 2819? I'm sorry, 2819. 19. It could be 18. 18 is solid too. 18 is solid too. The but the 28s. But I the 2819 is even better because That's, it's the it's heart accurate. of the Great Commission. <laughs> and the reason we created these shirts is we wanted to create shirts to start conversations. It's a conversation piece for you to share what you're passionate about. Also, you can join the movement of making disciples right where you are. Check it out, discipleshirts.com. And we're back talking about Elijah in the cave running away, hiding. We talked about a little bit about his depression. We talked about his even wanting to die. But now we move through the story and something incredible happens that ties into technology. Yeah. Speaking of technology, I'm wearing a ring right now that tells me my heartbeat, how I sleep, whether or not I need to get up and stretch my legs. It tells me every once in a while, maybe it's time to stretch your legs, right. which is a, a or take a walk, which is a very nice way of saying you've been sitting down too long. Ooh. Get out from behind the computer and go do something with your life. <laughs> Um, so technology can be helpful. Yes. It doesn't, you know, alert me to anything. It doesn't 
take up any time, but it's kind of one of those things that helps out. So what is it that we can learn from Elijah in the cave that could be helpful when we think about how technology potentially uses us? Yeah, I would say, again, technology is useful, but there has to be a break from technology. So the first thing we need to do is, like Elijah did, we need to disconnect from technology in order to examine our life. Okay, what do I mean by that? Elijah disconnects from the busyness of life in order to connect with God. Now, he doesn't do that on the front end willingly. He's trying to run away from everything. But what he realizes is you can't run away from God. And God meets him where he is, hiding in a cave. The man of God, the prophet of God, the, the filled with the Spirit you know, to be used by God, is now on the run. And God meets him, and he asks him this simple question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Good question. It's a great question. Now, you have to understand, whenever God asks a question in the Bible, it's never because he's seeking an answer. Yeah, he doesn't know what the answer is. He's waiting to find out from Elijah. He, he are, yeah, he already <laughs> knows the answer. He wants Elijah to know the answer. And that's right. the question I want to ask you if you're listening. How have you gotten here? Hmm. How have you gotten to the place where you're, where you're overwhelmed? What has happened in your life to create circumstances where you're overburdened? How have you gotten here? It takes us disconnecting from life in order to get to the place when we realize maybe we are overworked. Maybe we are always connected. And I believe one of the reasons we are dealing with anxiety, one of the reasons we have rise in depression, one of the reasons teen suicide rates have increased from 1978 to 2019 by 200%. Think about that. Teen suicide rates. 200%. And there was a book written uh, called I, Jen. I think you, you're familiar with this book. And the author says, two years ago, she said this, we are on the verge of the greatest health crisis in teenagers that we've ever seen in America, in the world. Now, that was two years ago. Chris, I would say we're already past the verge. We're over the cliff. And so it's not getting any easier it's not getting any better if we don't do something about this always connected never disconnected society then my my prediction is anxiety depression and even suicide god forbid will be as common in the future as the common cold and headaches today everybody's going to be depressed everybody's going to be anxious and why wouldn't they because they don't have regular seasons of disconnection for self-examination and refreshment, which is the second thing he does. Not only does he disconnect to examine himself, secondly, he disconnects to be refreshed. So in the cave, God says, I'm going to show you who I am. God comes in, in a couple of different ways. So the first thing is he's in the cave. He looks out. There's a rushing wind. You remember this? This huge wind comes. Yeah. It, it, it moves boulders and rips mountains apart. And God and in the past and even in the future, shows up in mighty power. But the Bible says he's not in the wind. Then we see an earth-shaking earthquake. Uh, you know, the, the ground is splitting in two. Elijah's like, God's got to be in this thing. It says, no, God's not in the earthquake. And then finally, it says, all of a sudden, we have this fire, this raging fire come through. Elijah's looking around. He's like, got to be in the fire, not in the fire. Finally, when all the death settles, when there's a calm after the storm, the Bible says God comes in a small whisper, right? A still, small voice. And that, 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 that uh, phrase, still, small voice in Hebrew means the sound, you ready for this, of silence. 
And here's what I want you to understand if you're listening. God is not only the God of wonders, he's the God of whispers. And some of you, including me at times, I've got so much noise in my life as a disciple of Christ that I can't hear God speaking. It's not that God's not speaking to us. It's that we have too much noise, too much white noise, too, too many things, too many voices, too many feeds, uh, too many apps, too many emails uh, in our life that we don't slow it down enough in silence and solitude to hear the voice of God speaking to us. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, doesn't God speak through his word? Yes. Doesn't God speak through prayer? Yes. But what I'm saying is we can't be led by the Spirit in the way we could or should be because we have these competing voices in our life. And it took Elijah getting to a cave in order to hear the voice of God. So here's the question. The question is, what will you have to do to remove the voices and the noise and the feeds and the sounds in your life in order to hear from God? Well, we, it seems like we need to put ourselves in a position to be able to hear from God and consistently do that. And, when, you know, when we talk about discipleship, we talk about uh, oftentimes discipleship groups and getting in a position to where we're reading the Word and we're hearing from the Word versus being in this busy kind of rat race, running that run the treadmill over and over again and, and connected all the time and we're unable to hear from God. It's because we're not listening, like you're saying. And so we have to have that consistent, ongoing habit of putting ourselves in position to be able to hear when God is speaking through his word as we read it. Yeah, so here's the question. What can we do to set ourselves up, to set our discipleship groups up, uh, to use technology for good so that it's not using us? I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, I think that's the question we're asking. And I, I, I realize, and I've done some study on this recently, that everything about the phone apps we have, everything about the games we play, everything about uh, the, the, the devices we use are created to get us hooked. There was a book I read in my research. Uh, it came out 2014. It became the gold standard for all the app developers of the world. It was a New York Times bestseller. In fact, the book was so popular and the author got so convicted about what he created that he had to write a follow-up book to combat the habit-forming, addictive nature of the apps oh, wow. he suggested people create. He was telling companies how to create these apps to be addictive, and then he had to write a book to say, here's how you can break away from no, that's what it is. Addiction. You can search this book online. It's called Hooked. The name of the book's called wow. Hooked, How to Create Habit-Forming Apps. And what it, he showed was everything about these apps were created to raise the dopamine level in our brain. And here's how dopamine works. Just give you a quick science uh, lesson on chemistry in the brain. The I'm brain, always looking forward to a good chemistry and science. Well, and we never give a lot of these science chemistry lessons. We have so. all kinds of them. We just don't share them often. Right. Well, here they are. Here they are. <laughs> Let's give one. Okay. So dopamine in the brain was known for years, and I've known this just from my past addiction history. I've known this from just studying my own addiction and my own uh, desires. When a person experiences joy, the brain releases dopamine. Okay, so it's kind of a release of dopamine. When you get a, a new car or, or, or purchase a, a new video game or buy a new pair of shoes or uh, get a new disc for your disc golf collection. Eat a piece of delicious cake. Eat a piece of delicious cake. The brain releases dopamine. Okay, um, when a person takes drugs, they can artificially uh, create dopamine in the brain. Now, obviously, a little higher depending on the drug you use, but it's the same kind of thing. But you do it artificially. 
What they found is that dopamine works also in a different way. It isn't just the chemical for joy and satisfaction and, and being high in a sense, high on life or just high in general. It's also the chemical for looking for things and seeking things. So when you look for something, you get a dopamine release. And when you keep looking for something, you get a dopamine release. Well, app designers knew this. And they realized that if they could create apps to where you continually get hooked in looking for one thing to another, they win. Because the goal is to get you on the phone more time than not. Okay, And it happens to all of us. Has anybody ever, on a Saturday night, before going to bed, you pick up your cell phone, and you decide, I'm going to go look at the sports scores from today. You ever done this before? I usually do it on Sunday night, but yeah, it's the same. Right. Well, same Arkansas thing, is not thing. much to look at. So. Exactly. Or watch. Or watch, yeah. So there's really not much for you. Pro football is the in, way I've been uh, my whole life. In the, what team do you like? Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. If anyone Still, you like still following the Dallas Cowboys? They're going to win the Super Bowl this okay, year. Every year. Every year they're going to win I? the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> So they are they are doing well. Super okay. Bowl bound. Super Bowl bound. But I hear this every year. Okay. And had one at 20. But anyway, who's counting? So <laughs> Saturday night, a lot of people do this. They get on their apps. They check the football scores. Before you know it, Chris, you've, you've already looked at your phone for an hour. And you end up looking at grilling tips or beard products. And you don't even know how you got there. Just to be clear, that was beard products. Is it beard or board? I thought you said beer products. Not beer <laughs> products, but beard. Beard products. I, beard products. I've never looked at a beard product in my life, just to set the record straight. Okay, okay. well. You might have. What about hair products? Uh, no. No, okay. Well, you got to actually have a beard to look. Okay, but anyway, let's use ladies, if you're, if you're a lady. You get online to pin a, a recipe on Pinterest. Yes. And before you know it, you're searching out designer dog breeds. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen, too. And then, and then so you don't even know how you got here. Yeah. And the way you got here was the app designers have created this mm. to get you hooked. So what do we do in response to this? We're going to have to wait till next week. Mm. And I'm going to give six or seven practical ways okay. for us to respond to this. Like, what can we do? How do we respond? What are the regular rhythms mm. of our life for our discipleship groups and ourselves mm -hmm. that we can create this uh, environment to use technology for good so that it doesn't use us. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or again, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.